as an American, there is no greater privilege and responsibility than choosing who will represent you and your family to determine the course of history, your lives, the economy, your health, your safety. On November 3rd, please choose to vote. To vote early or if you need an absentee or mail-in ballot, please visit vote.org. Your future self thanks you. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Scott Lux, and I'm currently Vice President of E-Commerce and Digital at Theory and Helmut Lang. I'm an adjunct professor at both Columbia University and FIT, and what I love about retail is it's in the moment and ever-changing. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Scott Lux, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm Mark Rico, and uh, welcome to you, everybody, to the show. And, of course, with me, uh, Mr. Pavan Ball. Hey, Pavan. Hey, yo. How you doing, Mark? Yo, yo. I am doing well. I am doing well. Not a bad day. Thank you. Uh, I'm not. The folks obviously can't see this, but it's great. I, I see Pavan with a, a beautiful background of Brooklyn behind him through a window uh, as I look at him through video. I swear to you, Pavan, it looks like you're you're reporting from the Olympics or something. Like you got your headphones on, you got the, the city behind you. You know, it's like you're going to go. And uh, it's great being here in Athens and uh, or whatever. So it's kind of a cool it's amazing when you can outfit your bedroom into the conference room. So, uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a ma- magical things you could do in small spaces, I, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> True. So, Scott, uh, great to have you. Uh, maybe we could start here. Um, a little, little easy to see secret if you just peek at uh, Scott Lux's LinkedIn profile. Uh, your current position, uh, you started it uh, right as the – main thrust of the pandemic began. Uh, maybe we could start just talking about the kind of role that you have and how maybe it's become even more important in this moment in time. Yeah, it's kind of been a, a surreal journey, if you will. So I started March 9th at Theory, um, and I recall vividly the week prior to that, I was actually having lunch uh, with my old boss, the CEO over at Intermix. And we met in Bryant Park, and it was your typical New York restaurant, just packed and crowded. And we looked at each other, and we said, gosh, you know, it's just kind of weird. You would never know there's a virus out there. Surely they would let us know if we should be concerned. And little did we know, looking back at that point, when I started the new position on Monday the 9th, uh, things slowly progressed. And then by weekend, it was everything's going to be shutting down, be prepared to work for from home for the foreseeable future. And one of the, the unique aspects with theory is for most of the people that may not know the brand, they started as a pure wholesale brand. So when Andrew Rosen founded the company, uh, they sold primarily to wholesale partners to start with. Then he opened up his boutiques and retail experience. And then obviously e-commerce came along. And so for us uh, and for my role, immediately pivoted, uh, one, the good and the bad. We had all eyes focused on e-commerce because we were the only channel that was up and running 
and operating. So it gave me a unique opportunity to, to lean in quickly, had to learn the brand, uh, what made it unique from my prior experiences, and then get up to speed and meet an entire leadership and cross-functional team all remotely uh, that over the last five or six months, I would have to rely on uh, quite a bit. Now, with with theory specifically, I mean, um, you know, they've they've kind of, I guess, they were famously a little bit late to ecom, and now, not saying twenty twenty, they were already online, of course. Um, but I know that they Andrew wasn't always super bullish on ecom uh, or that that aspect of the business, and I'm wondering, kind of. Um, is the team completely fresh that came in with you or is, uh, are you coming into an established team uh, that already had kind of their priorities and their marching orders in, in, in hand? Yeah, no, it was an established team, uh, but I would say pretty much all of our priorities uh, went out the window. And it's, it's interesting to reflect on this if you think about, you know, I've seen a few emails uh, from partners, we use Salesforce Commerce Cloud, and they're talking about holiday 2020 planning. And you used to have this long ramp up to get ready for, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And for us, we were executing Black Friday, Cyber Monday type of um, campaigns pretty much every two to three weeks. So I think even though the team was in place, all of our priorities, we had to quickly pivot and rapidly execute on these campaigns and sales uh, that we would normally spend months on, on planning the execution for. So I think even though the priorities were there, uh, that got pretty much uh, thrown out the window when we realized pretty quickly we were going to be the, the only channel open for, for possibly a, a longer period of time. What was, I mean, this it's, it's fascinating to come in as, um, you know, a, a managing position um, and then immediately not being able to interact physically with your team uh, from the onset. Uh, I'm wondering what that experience is, uh, has been for you in terms of galvanizing your voice, your kind of, let's say, theories, and, uh, and, and kind of marching forward with your team. Yeah, I would say it, it's, it's been interesting. Um, it's probably the, the best way to describe it. You, you definitely have to work a lot harder on building the relationships. Uh, they're yeah. much more virtual. And as cliche as it sounds, one of the things I, I did any meeting I was involved in, I would always have my camera on. Uh, yeah. So at least people could see, you know, who I was, um, you know, and, and I think just starting from that side point, having side conversations, setting up uh, one-on-ones, just getting familiar with the team and saying, and this is mostly on the cross-functional side, uh, just getting time with them to understand the brand um, and how we work together. And you just have to be much, much more proactive in forcing those conversations to happen because it's not as easy in an office environment to say, hey, let's go grab a quick coffee um, or whatever the case may be with my team. I would say uh, just started doing and hosting uh, happy hours right away uh, because I didn't have the chance to meet, you know, core people on my team that I would rely and depend on and have to partner with. Uh, so I started doing a Friday happy hour, made sure I scheduled my one-on-ones, team meetings, and would always have video on and just try to get to know them too. I think that's the other piece, just asking questions on a personal and professional level, like what are their interests, what are their hobbies? I'm an avid runner. So that would come into the conversation, just give us some commonality 
to talk about to, to kind of foster that dialogue in a way that perhaps you take for granted in person. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, it, I think one of the silver linings that we've all been experiencing with the work from home and, you know, the related quarantine of COVID is, is that you, there's, a, there's a real human element of working digitally. So like, you know, for instance, right now I can see the background in your home, right? And sometimes you may have a family member that pops in, maybe a pet or, you know, that, that, that starts yapping in the background and, or a child that runs around. So I think that those, uh, those moments, um, can be particularly impactful in terms of um, establishing a relationship. Um, have you experienced uh, kind of similar in that regard? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned pets. Uh, we have a dog. Uh, a couple of my team members have a dog. So we, we would go around the room at, at times and say, okay, let's, let's meet individual pets, uh, showcase, you know, tell yeah. us about your dog. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you, uh, learn some of the challenges, as you alluded to. Uh, some of my team members and partners have younger kids, uh, so sometimes they would make an appearance in a video meeting, and you just kind of have fun with it. it. It does bring, I think you summed it up best, a little more humanity into, honestly, what became a very challenging, at times, monotonous experience, uh, mm-hmm. because as soon as this hit, it was really challenging. I'm not sure if you two ran into this, hard to separate Work-life balance is yeah. too easy. Get up, okay, great, go for a run, shower, sure. and then from eight thirty till seven or nine at night, you're on video conferences or calls or just you. It is too easy to always work. Uh, well, it's so borderless. Yeah, there's no, there's no there's no yeah there's no moment where you say okay hey I'm leaving for the day. And and that's the, that's been the, the I think the the common challenge for for most folks. You know I have a. A nine-month-old, and I'm I'm so thankful for the time that I'm spending with her because I wouldn't normally have gotten it. But at the same time, man, I'm so thankful that she also can't walk. Yet, you know, <laughs> you could just like you could just put her on a bed or in a crib or whatever it is, and just hopefully that she doesn't make too much noise, and that's it. You know, but it's yeah. a, it's a constant game of hot potato. Uh, Scott, uh, let me uh, let me pivot a little bit here. Um, how how coming in other than what you just talked about? How coming into your your job at Ethereum and Hamalang have you? How have things changed in terms of your compass um, versus the day you stepped into the job and you said, "Okay, this is what's going to be important. This is what I need to take care of. Here's what I have in my mind. My missions are going to be because obviously interviewing for the job or whatever discussions led to the positions." Um, you know, there were some conversations about what might be important and what you were excited about as your own initiatives to spearhead. How has that changed, not just out of necessity because of the pandemic, but that it may have even sort of lit new fires out in the distance that you're saying, now I realize this is really what we need to be working on. Yeah, I think one is, is our revenue targets obviously changed fairly rapidly yeah. uh, because this being the only channel open, we, we had to see, okay, how far can we push things? Um, so I think that was that, that first notion that I alluded to earlier is just making that quick pivot um, because you always step into a new role with the expectation that, okay, I can build my roadmap, set my strategy, and you have this notion of time. I can take three months, six months, my 90-day plan, 120 days. Okay, what are those milestones? And for me, that that got accelerated. So things I would have had on my roadmap six months, 12 months down the line, 
we had to move up and execute almost immediately. I think the other portion, going back to the human element, and I really can't emphasize that enough, uh, because what we're relying and asking the team to execute, and that that's our creative team, it's our marketing team, as well as my uh, digital team, you have to have that human element. Uh, really make sure that they're taking care of themselves, uh, balancing that side of it. And I would say probably leaning into that a lot more than perhaps I would have uh, just being aware, making sure listening, because again, the other piece we haven't touched on is you, you throw in um, all the racial injustice that was happening at the same time. So not only were we thrown in the middle of COVID-19, you had um, a lot happening with George Floyd and the protests and racial injustice. So just making sure we are listening and learning uh, from team members that that may weigh heavily on them. So I think for me, it was that pivot to just how do you rely more on that balance on the, the human angle and knowing that there really isn't, as you said, the, uh, the boundaries don't exist anymore. So I think for me, that was the biggest biggest pivot to make is just having to be self-aware and make sure my team knew I had their backs and could support them. How, how large of a participation was Ecom to the overall revenue uh, P&L of uh, the, the brands before COVID versus now? I would say you know, probably 20% and then, you know, 100% uh, for a period of time when everything was shut down. And I'd say it's probably averaged out to about 70% uh, right now. So wow. very, very significant. And I mean, how do you have the bandwidth and uh, kind of where's your headspace in terms of looking for solutions and testing and, and, and kind of piloting? new solutions to, to help accelerate or, or, or facilitate this sort of volume? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, you know, I feel for a lot of people that are in business development, there's a lot of new and interesting technologies uh, that I would love to spend the time. That's part of what I, I enjoy uh, about the innovation and being in retail is there's a ton of new fashion tech. I'm sure you guys see it all the time that's evolving, but I just don't have the time to sit back um, where I may have in the past could entertain a 15, 30 minute pitch on the capability and see what it was, we had to really focus on foundational components that would enable us to, to move fast and thinking of when we come out of this, we were very promotional, uh, as were a lot of brands, to move inventory that backed up, uh, but we had to have a very, very clear plan um, when we go to full price launching our fall campaign on August 18th um, how do we make that that adjustment? So it it kind of had a scale back a bit, and I would say just foundation uh, and focus on the basics that, that we needed to, to get right and then market. Was there a lot of priority that needed to be done on the logistics side of things, so the fulfillment, as you mentioned, and uh, also then beyond that, where on the website were there kind of, um, uh, I guess, bottlenecks that you were looking to patch up first? Yeah. I mean, fulfillment is a fantastic question. Uh, we, we have great fulfillment partners, both internal and external. And that was kind of the unknown at the very beginning. It's like, would they be able to stay open? Mm -hmm. Can they operate safely? How do they, they maintain? Uh, luckily, uh, we, we were able to get through that and had good reliability and SLAs. I think the, the trickier challenge was on 
what to to kind of prioritize. And for me, it was always looking at our digital marketing efforts, really keeping an eye on spend and efficiency, uh, what we're spending to acquire customers during this time period. Can we afford to continue to acquire new customers? Will they be healthy ones in the long term? So that's where we started to push a lot of our opportunity is making sure we have the right messaging uh, for this moment in time and that our spin was aligned accordingly on that side of it. From a tech and capabilities perspective, that's probably been one of the, the bigger challenges is we are pushing to get curbside and buy online pickup in store enabled, uh, but we didn't have that. And obviously there, there's a lot of components, uh, not only from a tech perspective, but operations. And as you kind of see uh, with our retail store footprint, uh, we're in major cities, LA, New York, Miami, uh, as well as some smaller markets. Uh, that's an evolving day-by-day -day scenario on what the retail environment looks like. So to, to think about how do you do operations to enable curbside and buy online pickup mm -hmm. is, a, uh, I'd say, probably one of the more complex challenges. It may seem easy to light that up, but I think that's one that, that we always have our eye on that we're trying to get enabled uh, at least in time to, to test before holiday. Talking about messages, Scott, it's something I've talked about with people. I'm sure you have too, Pavan, but I don't know that we talked a lot about it on this show. And that is, you know, being in a bit of an unprecedented moment for our lifetimes anyway, how do you even know what the message should be? Like, how, how do you even, especially because everyone's going through it the same thing, but we're going through it differently. And everyone has their own dynamic of what they're dealing with, depending on their geography, depending on their age group, obviously, and, you know, how susceptible they are and, and how their generation thinks about it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you even formulate a messaging that can wrap and know that, no, this should work when we have a bit of a, a, a moving target? Yeah. I think some of it is is you have to stay true to your brand. Uh, so for mm. theory, we've always had uh, what we call theory for good, uh, which mm. is part of our DNA. So how do we continue to leverage that side of those more about our traceability, uh, where we're getting our cotton, our wool, but that whole halo notion of, of theory for good. So I think just continuing to stay true to your brand and your messaging and, and not be forceful and what I alluded to earlier it's making sure that we're, we're actively listening to what's going on around us. And some of it is a little bit of a uh, test and learn into, um, you know, making sure that if we put a message out there that we're, we're responding, if there's any feedback through Instagram or direct messages, uh, that we can make sure we, we have a point of view and get back to it and pivot or make changes if needed. And I think that's one of the areas I always go back to Nike, I think is a great example mm. Uh, how they leveraged a lot of their apps yeah. they made them free they leveraged their their brand just it was more get moving but do it safely and and i think they were able to pull that messaging off uh because it's core to who they are so that that's how we would try to approach it is not to try something new or that was a stretch or reach for the brand but relying on what the company was founded on over the last 20 25 years yeah you know th there's a there's a school of thought where this is, uh, for brands, this is not the time to sell to your customer. This is the time to tell stories, to provide value, to listen. Um, and, you know, there, there is this kind of catch-22 that comes with 
you know, doing flash sales in an environment where the economic, uh, you know, there's so much uncertainty in our in our personal economic lives, financial lives, and um, I'm wondering how you've dealt with that kind of that balance of priority on sales as well as um, being mindful of of your your target client and what they they must be going through. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I would say we had a lot of internal dialogue about that when uh, COVID first hit. So that that first week that I started, uh, and when stores closed, and you know we realized this could be impactful, we kind of waited on market, uh, read what our consumers uh, were looking for, talked to a lot of peers in the industry. I think that's one of the other components uh, that I love about retail and digital is having a strong network and being able to reach out and say, hey, you know, so-and-so over at brand X, Y, and Z, what are you guys hearing? What are you thinking? How are you approaching that? So I think that gave us a little bit of confidence that they've already dipped their toes and said, yeah, you know, our customers actually responded okay. And for us, that's pretty much what we did is, is we put the message out there, we ran some promotions and saw if they were receptive to it. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because it was helping us keep, uh, for lack of a better word, the lights on and keep going and making sure that we could support our retail partners and people within the, the economy. And the reality of the U.S. economy is so much of it is based on consumer spending. You kind of have to keep that, that flywheel going. And I think customers are always looking for their perceived value. And, you know, if, if theory is predominantly workwear, but it's on sale or a good value, um, then I think they were receptive to, to making the purchase. And as we've seen probably over the last month or so, there is an appetite for full price, probably not as much uh, as in the past, but they are starting to, to get back into it. But we're always mindful of the, the tone and messaging with that. We just pivoted to calling it 24 by 7. So initially we weren't talking about that there's a lot of push on work from home, work from home. And this is more, okay, whatever your new 24 by 7 lifestyle is, we're here to support that. So it's those minor uh, changes you can make in the tone and messaging to make it feel not as heavy-handed, whether you're sale or full price. I mean, 70% of the business, uh, or it's settling into 70% of the business is coming from e-com. I, I can only imagine that the insights that you're receiving through the user behaviors online are, you know, are guiding all types of departments uh, across the board. So whether it be uh, merchandising and marketing and um, sales, um, how what type of what type of interactions are you having across um, across departments in terms of how you're viewing product, for for instance, how you're um, how you're viewing sales? Uh, can you talk that through a little bit? Yeah, and I think when you asked earlier about some of the, the core capabilities we're pushing towards, I think that is one of them that I alluded to is foundational, just making sure we have the right data in place. And that's both on our customer side, so we can understand from a CRM perspective, uh, who are we acquiring, what are their behaviors, same with our site behaviors, making sure that we have all that data flowing through. So we can understand how are you interacting with the product? Are you viewing that product? Is it getting enough impression share? Are you adding it to cart? As stores reopen, how is that different from what our store associates are seeing and talking about? And then feeding that back into our, our merchandise team, our creative team on what uh, copy and creative is resonating. And then obviously on our digital team to make sure our, our merchandisers 
uh, have the, the correct approach that they're looking for in our capabilities. So check this out. For more than 15 years and more than 160,000 customers, the number one SMS marketing software, industry leader Easy Texting, has set the standard for business texting platforms. So it's a cloud-based self-service SaaS platform, and it's a top 20 best product for marketers, and it allows businesses of all sizes to reach and engage their mobile audiences. They've sent 5 billion messages to their customers, yes, but what can really move the needle for you is this. Texting delivers 600% more engagement than email. Now, what could you do with 600% more engagement? Look, 90% of people read new messages within 30 minutes, right? And text messages, 134% more likely to be read than emails. So when an online boutique wanted to send their existing customers coupons and information about upcoming sales, they wanted an easy-to-use text marketing platform, and they used easy texting. 89% of customers prefer messaging to communicate with businesses. 77% of consumers have a more positive impression of companies that text. So when a clothing store with a pop-up shop wanted to increase store traffic as well as tell past customers about new arrivals, they used easy texting. In-store traffic increased within just a few hours of their first text. They had positive communications with customers and they saved time. So you come to fashion as your business for valuable business insights and strategy, right? This one is a game changer. Texting allows you to facilitate scheduling, enable staffing, promote products and services and notify customers, and the big kahuna provide an excellent customer experience. So, Fashion Is Your Business is going to hook you up. Easy Texting is offering a free trial to listeners of the Fashion Is Your Business podcast. Just text FASHION to 858-585. Again, that's FASHION to 858-585. Message and data rates may apply for this recurring message program. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Just as a as a consumer, of course, I look at everything with my retail hat on when I'm purchasing something. Just like I'm sure you are as well. Um, but uh, you know, as a consumer, I'm I'm realizing just how important. Co- digital customer service is as well as like product selection and discoverability, you know, search and those aspects of, of a site. And, you know, it, I don't know, I don't know if this much priority has been on it before, but the, the system has to be strained. And I'm wondering how you're thinking about solutions in the customer service side specifically when it comes to digital, as well as maybe on the product search and, and taxonomy side. Yeah, I think on a customer service perspective, um, that's critical because we we looked at our customer service team, making sure we were staffed accordingly, uh, got into these high volume periods running some of the uh, sale campaigns that we had. We did see an uptick and we wanted to make sure we could provide the level of support uh, that our customers expected uh, and continue to expect. We are rolling out uh, live chat that connects to a, a store associate 
which is really twofold. It's designed to, to, again, get that relationship if you're not comfortable coming into a store or perhaps you don't have a store near you, but you want more of that guided selling. You want to understand the product detailing, how you wear it with, um, connecting them to our associates who know the product in and out. So I think that's one area uh, that we're pushing towards uh, piloting and then rolling that out in a uh, more meaningful way. And I would say we've had really good success with clienteling and outreach directly from our store teams. So when we closed our stores, loved hearing from some of the associates that they know. Uh, so I think some of that communication, again, what we talked about earlier, that you may take for granted. You may view that as, oh, it's a pushy sales call. They're trying to, to reach out. And in fact, we heard the opposite. They were glad to hear from the associates, had a conversation, and were receptive to to that outreach. Scott, can you talk through maybe some of the specific uh, solutions that you are using, maybe when it comes to things like clienteling or chat or uh, you know search and kind of usability of the site itself? Yeah, so we use Tulip uh, for our clienteling. That was piloted in stores a couple months before I came on board. Uh, one of the things that, that we like about the platform is they are moving towards being more and more integrated uh, with the entire digital ecosystem. So like all of us, uh, they pivoted very quickly to respond to the current times and the capability, which for us was appealing because our associates were already familiar with using uh, the Tulip app itself. And we wanted to make sure we weren't adding additional capabilities that they have to bounce around on their phone or iPad uh, to leverage. So we're launching live chat uh, through Tulip as a pilot within the next week or so. Uh, and then that'll have more integration directly into clienteling and opportunities to be able to, to track. Pivoting a bit, um, we've been talking a, a decent amount about data and analytics. We use Action IQ as our CDP. And I think that's probably has been and will continue to be one of our bigger unlocks. So being able to set up unique audiences and segments, uh, that's where it'll be kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, I call it our personalization engine across all channels. So we can create an audience and segment, push that segment into Tulip for clienteling, for outreach. We can also take that exact same segment load it through uh, Facebook and Google, and then understand which channel the customer is best responding to. Is it a combination of paid media and client outreach? Is it just paid media and email? So being able to kind of get that unlock and setting the, the tone and pace to where we can be much, much faster in our execution for campaigns, but really getting to a point where we can quickly identify what's working, how do we scale that fast, or if it's not working from a campaign perspective, we can abandon it and move forward and set up a different audience and segment and keep testing and iterating till we, we know what works and get scale. Yeah, that's, and then, and then to take that over to the other side, which is, uh, let's say, the UI, UX of the site or the usability of the site, um, what are some of the priorities that you're looking to tackle um, or have been tackling since uh, you started there in March uh, and continue to kind of work on uh, for the rest of this year? Yeah, I think one of the, the key areas we're always looking at is from customer experience, customer journey. And I think brands that will be successful are the ones that are taking a customer-first approach. And I know that that may sound uh, somewhat old news, but I think it, it still surprises me 
uh, how brands do not look at it from a customer first perspective. And whether that's you know, COVID, pre-COVID, post-COVID, everything going on, we have to look at it through that lens and then mapping out what does that journey look like, again, back to that audience and segment. And for us, tying it to site experience, we are on Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Uh, we're moving over to their new reference architecture, which basically allows us to decouple a little more out of their uh, backend infrastructure and leverage our own front-end experience. Uh, so we'll be launching with a new checkout uh, in late August, uh, so a couple weeks away, which will be good. And then we're looking to gradually uh, redo some of our pages, so our product listing page, product description page, to provide a little more of that inspirational shopping. Uh, so as customers become uh, more and more attuned to shopping online, we have to make sure we inspire them and make sure we're giving them that differentiation on what makes theory unique and special. And that has to come life to life in the digital experience. So we'll be gradually rolling out those enhancements over the next two to three months. There, you know, there, there's a few things uh, there that I, I'm going to send you over a few links to solutions that I think are particularly interesting in those spaces of like, you know, and, and there's no shortage of, of different companies trying to attack this, but the, the whole visual search and taxonomy of products and recommendations that come with that sort of technology, um, we're we're seeing a, a, through conversation that that is just a high high priority and, oh, and critical. Yeah. And I'm hearing it too. I, I can't tell you how many yeah. companies, and it, it's probably worse than the term omni-channels, AI, machine learning. Yeah. Uh, company, <laughs> pretty much on a daily basis. They're like, hey, we have this AI machine learning algorithm that can give you recommendations. You can do X, Y, and Z. And it's becoming harder and harder to differentiate between the solutions. I know. And I know. to step back and say, okay, how is that better than what Commerce Cloud has natively versus what I can create and build in Action IQ versus what, what you can provide just by throwing a label of AI or machine learning on it? Yeah, and, and listen, that's the problem across the board right now. So one thing we had already talked about is that you're outstretched as it is, right? You you went from a team that was handling, you know, say fifteen to twenty percent of the the company business to seventy percent of the company business, and you know, uh, from what I'm hearing about your um, talking through Tulip Retail specifically and how they're building to the times and with chat, it seems as though it's just it it, it makes more sense from. A macro lens to to really like just rely on your tech partners that you're already using, right? To hopefully uh, build kind of that product suite or solutions for you, uh, as opposed to kind of this isn't the time to th that you have the luxury of of researching and testing and iterating. Unfortunately, yeah, and I think it's a, it's a really weird 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 space that you're in. Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges because um, I'm always open, love hearing about the latest innovations. But it does become yeah. a bit frustrating when a lot of the, the newer companies just say, oh, yeah, we, we have a, you know API or we have a cartridge to connect with Salesforce. It's easy. It only takes 10 hours. But I think you hit upon one of the, the other key variables you have to assess. It may take 10 hours if you're just looking at it in pure dev terms. But there's time uh, for my team to assess to measure, to track, to see if it's working. A lot yeah. of times you're dealing with data and security has to go through legal and compliance. 
So it's not just 10 hours. I think that's one of the areas that if any of our listeners are on kind of the partner service side, just to take that in consideration. We can't always just look at it in terms of, of how long does it take to actually integrate the tech. There's this whole other layer uh, that my team has to go through to assess and test and see if it's working. Is it providing the outcome we expected? So can we reverse engineer that a little bit and build on that, Scott? So, you know, uh, I'm a young innovator. I've got some great ideas. I'm, I'm starting to put together. I think I've got a, 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 a value prop here that that I think brands are going to want and I'm getting ready to build it. If you could sit in a room with that person at that moment of inception and tell them and say, here's what you need to be thinking about to get to the point of what you were just talking about. What, I don't even mean just like what advice would you give them? But if, if that person could time travel ahead and be at that moment that they're talking with you in the brand and then go back and talk to their earlier self, what 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 could they be thinking about to try to make sure that they meet you at that moment as they start to think of their idea? Yeah, I would say there's three things I would look for or tell them. One is to do their homework um, and really understand our brand and who we are. Uh, because a lot of times I'll talk to, to partners, they may know theory, they may go to the website, but they don't know what product we are. They don't know our comp set. Right. So understand who you're talking to and ask questions. Ask me what some of the challenges are and then come up with a solution that is distinct and defensible in the marketplace. Right, right. So if you are talking about style suggestions or recommendations powered from AI, make sure you can defend that from the five other partners that are out there that have a similar capability and technology. And then don't assume uh, that anything's easy. Like show me how you can either partner with me, uh, not only on a tech side, but you're gonna give me the reporting so I can validate, did this drive true incrementality? Because at the end of the day, that's ultimately what I'll be judged on. If I'm bringing on board a new partner, a new service or solution, does it drive incrementality to my business? If not, I don't have time to, to look at it um, or entertain that as an option in this moment. As, um, as, a, as a brand, how have you all responded or listened to um, the, the, the social justice movement um, that's been having, you know, kind of waving, you know, started with, of course, catalyzed really by the, the death of George Floyd, but started way before that or has been um, ready to surface for quite some time, I would say. But it, it really has taken over the it, – it's, it's spread across the world. And I'm wondering how, as consumers and citizens, uh, we're looking to uh, our brand partners as um, – as our, you know, as our alliances, right? Like we're only aligning with brands that we uh, truly feel connected to, that we share common values with. Um, so how have you uh, been thinking about that side of things? No, I think one of the, the areas that we've looked at is we were touching on it earlier is with the, the human element. We're all consumers. We all shop as well. We're all passionate about retail and other brands. And I think for us, it's taking a step backwards and just being in that listening and learning mode <laughs> Uh, so I've reached out with my team, making sure, you know, what are they feeling? What are they sensing just as people and interacting in their communities and taking that feedback back and applying it to our day-to-day 
looking at how do we move forward and what do we, we focus on uh, that's the right aspect for the communities that, that we have stores in and that we all live in. Second is Theory did partner with ACLU uh, in a uh, meaningful way, not only making a donation, but leveraging their expertise again so we can learn and continue to, to listen and evolve um, as we continue to go forward. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy that, um, you know, you've been taking, you know, the, the company as a brand has been listening and, and active in that conversation because, you know, the, it, it's, you know, I tell I tell my friends, my family, um, folks that follow me on social media that it's just important to have conversations, right? To, um, if, you know, and, and to continuously learn and grow uh, from, you know, from experiences, right? And here, here we are at a, at a bit of a crossroads, uh, both culturally as well as uh, fiscally. And it's just such a dynamic and powerful time in, um, in our culture as, uh, as a global society that this is, you know, this has to be um, top of line that brands are working with consumers and consumers have always been the dictators of, um, of success, right? So what, what products are, are purchased. Um, who are they purchasing it from? Why? And uh, never has that been more important than right now. Um, are there any solutions? And, and I'm not sure if there are, to tell you the truth. But are there any solutions and things that that kind of help aid in the the listening aspects of uh, of uh, of the brand beyond da beyond data beyond um, the, the data points from ecom? Yeah. That's a good question. I'm not sure if there are. I mean, I think kind of what you're just mentioning to me, it's more of just being authentic and true to who your brand is. Um, I think where we, we saw some challenges that brands ran into is when they weren't authentic um, and it felt forced or contrived and they already had a tarnished history. So I think you either need to own up to that and say, yes, we acknowledge and back to listening and learning, let's make a change. Um, because there is, I think, no solution or tech that'll get there. It's that human element that we have to be willing to, to make that, that change. And then just relying on, on your customers and, again, back to the communities you operate in for that continuous feedback loop and be willing to admit, hey, we may have done this wrong or we can do better, but here's how we're doing it uh, and having some actual teeth uh, to what that how looks like going forward you know can you can you maybe talk through maybe some surprising learnings or outstanding successes that you've as a brand experienced um you know over the last say six months or so yeah i would say one internally is, is just um and it may be a little bit of a cliche as everyone's figured out how to work from home but i would say just you know again being new to the company just how quickly the team is able to step up and pivot and really support the business and our customers uh, when needed. So that, that was surprising. I think it would be very easy to let all the distractions get in the way, and I'm sure they were still there, uh, but just being able to, to make that quick pivot and adjust whether it was our messaging, um, how fast we can make changes in creative, um, how we can drive sales. Uh, so I think just how quick, because yeah, I think you had mentioned fashion brands historically are slower to act, uh, especially in the digital environment. So I think that was probably the, the biggest surprise is how the team came together 
through all the distractions and was able to, to kind of, like I said, execute Black Friday, Cyber Monday type of campaigns every two to three weeks. You know, Theory has uh, theory as a brand was a, is a game changer, right? It was a game changer. I mean, it made work clothing sexy. Um, it made it desirable. Um, and, you know, I'm wondering that as a, as, a, as a team and as a company, when you look back on, let's say, the 2020s as a decade, you know, um, what do you want to be known for? Yeah, I think people still want to have confidence and look good in whatever professional environment that may be. So whether we're on a uh, video conference, uh, whether we're going out, you still want that level of confidence and professionalism. And so I think that's where it'll be a pivot on what that looks like and the type of product we offer. But I think the core DNA will still be there instead of all workwear focused. I think it's now how is it um, that you continue to look professional and have styling and a fashion-forward approach to to that, regardless of the environment that you're operating in. Scott, uh, many moons ago, we had uh, Andrew Rosen on the show, and uh, he what? I sorry, I chuckled because also many moons ago we had Scott. Lutz yeah, more moons, <laughs> lots of moons ago we had Scott. A few ago. moons ago we had Andrew Rosen, uh, who was interviewed by uh, Liz Vassilar, and uh, we. Um, I remember one thing that he talked about was the crucial nature of collaboration and how it has been a part of theory's journey. So my question is, is in terms of the work that you do, um, both in general, but also particularly now, um, how do you see collaboration as a crucial tool in your toolbox and maybe some interesting ways that you're pursuing that as a, as a means to success? Yeah, one, I think, is just having that healthy balance, right? Because it, it is very easy, as I, I kicked off our conversation, to say, oh, yeah, I can do a right. <laughs> video chat or happy hour. Uh, you also don't want to be over-dependent on that. Uh, but I think it is just little components on, you know, whether it's a get-together, whether we're sending them, you know, ordering cookies from a bakery and Soho, sending it to the team and just having them say, okay, which one did you like better? Mm-hmm. Just getting that dialogue, making sure that's the team feels that connection with one another. So collaboration doesn't always have to be, okay, let's set a meeting. It can be just, oh, I'm comfortable talking to so-and-so or having that dialogue where in the past I wouldn't have even walked over to his or her desk. So I think it's little things like that um, that can just foster that back and forth communication. And I think going forward as, as people become uh, more comfortable with the environment we're in, you know, social distancing, I've had one-on-ones or coffees with people in the neighborhood where we sit, you know, six feet apart on a park bench and just, you know, maintain that connectivity um, and just give kind of that, that real-life coaching and mentorship, uh, which I think is probably the, the last bit I'll talk on. Collaboration, I think the, the other piece is that, that mentorship because I think that's the one area that could be easily discarded in this environment. Uh, because yeah. you're not in an office setting. Uh, but for me, is is how do you maintain mentoring a lot of the up-and-coming digital professionals that are going to lead retail forward? Yeah. So I think it's part of what you alluded to. That's the other side of the, the equation is making sure they feel like they, they have a mentor. You know, I had interviewed someone um, uh, as, as the pandemic had was starting to take hold, uh, who was an expert in, um, in, in the 
workplace dynamics of social distancing and, and external working externally. And one of the things she was talking about that touches on what you were talking about, that was very interesting, and I'm happy to have you comment on it, is the nature of innovation, particularly within a company, as opposed to working with external companies, um, doesn't always happen in a scheduled way. It's someone passing by your desk and saying, what do you think of this sketch? Or what do you think of this idea? Or I just thought of this, or hey, Bob, this, um, an impromptu, hey, grab Phil, let's sit down for a second and talk this through. And innovation unfolds that way very organically. When we are in our homes, particularly in a quarantine situation, or we're just working externally, we don't have that same pass by the desk environment. You feel like you have to schedule that time with people or ping them. And then when they see their ping, they, they respond and it may or may not be this moment and the moment kind of passes. So, so I guess with that, that, that prologue, uh, how, how are you thinking the process of actual innovation has change for you, given that the nature of the way collaboration unfolds has has had to change? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Slack. And one of the things we did for our team is we just set up a, a generic digital channel in Slack. And the idea behind that is you have to post one article uh, at least once a week or something you've read or seen or heard. It uh, doesn't necessarily have to be digital or tech. It could be retail. It could be sports. Like I love, you know, what the NBA has been doing, some of the uh, video blogs that the players have been doing. Um, so I think just something to spark that curiosity and interest and dialogue is how we've kind of managed to have that. And then when we do have that happy hour, I can say, oh, hey, Emma, I heard you, you know, I saw your post on X, wow. Y, and Z. That's really cool. Like, why, why did that grab your attention? And so, you know, gives them that form and hopefully unlocks some of the, the dialogue that they could say, hey, I saw this really cool thing. And maybe my head of operations will be like, oh, that's a really good idea. We should think. Wow, about that's it. great advice. I love that. Pavan, I, I can even think in, in our early days at Ma Mouth Media together, um, there was a period of time where we did something similar, where every day we made sure to share what was going on. And I, I think the level of interaction and innovation and camaraderie even maybe was never higher than that moment. So I can appreciate how that would be very effective. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think Slack yeah. has been uh, tremendous in terms of uh, keeping the information flow going, or if not, even just kind of providing that pipeline. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. And the other piece yeah. I was going to add to that, Mark, you know, when you talk about innovation, it's just making sure that the team stays curious about what we're doing because it's that curiosity aspect. Um, and that's something I've always looked at when I hire or interview people is what do they find interesting out there? It doesn't necessarily, again, have to be digital or retail, but what's something that's caught your attention that you have your eye on? And I think that's how you kind of continue to foster is just maintaining that level of curiosity because it is too easy in this environment to talk about business and results. Obviously, those are important. But if you're just caught yeah. up in the day-to-day, -day, uh, you could lose sight of that, that innovation. So I think that's a, a great point you brought up. It's, it's incredible to, to watch along your journey, man. You were, um, your episode was, when was it aired, Mark? 2005, January 1st, 2005, or 2015, excuse me. 
2015. So you were our third live episode, but you were part of the first recording day that we had. So that means we recorded four episodes in one day. Um, and it's it's incredible to, to have been in touch with you through these years and just kind of watching your journey. Um, and, uh, you know, you're... You're in a position right now in which it's it's so critical and so exciting uh, for numerous reasons uh, that we've discussed today, and you know, wish you nothing but uh, the best and the most success for you and, and and theory and the brand Helmet Lang as well. Thanks. This was fun. Enjoyed it. Appreciate the conversation. But wait, there's more coming up. <laughs> a round of off the grid questions right after this. Hey, everybody. Parsons Executive Education is pleased to invite all Mouth Media listeners to the luxury redefined virtual event on September 30th, 2020. In this virtual luxury redefined event, industry experts join the Parsons faculty to explore bold new ideas that connect luxury to current economic consumer behavior and societal needs. This half-day virtual event includes a keynote, masterclasses, and panel discussions designed to challenge this conventional notion of luxury and fuel new parameters to define luxury. For a limited time, Parsons Executive Education is extending all Mouth Media listeners a special discount by using the code MOUTHMEDIA underscore Parsons at checkout. That's M-O-U-T-H-M-E-D-I-A underscore Parsons at checkout. For more information or to register, please visit execed.newschool.edu forward slash collections forward slash luxury dash re dash defined. All right, Scott, it's time for... It's time for Questions Off the Grid, with fashion is your business. That's right, Off the Grid Questions, which um, I'm not sure if we did that back in episode three or not, but uh, uh, we've been doing it for a long time, and uh, it's a chance for us to get away from business and a little bit more about Scott as a person. Uh, the way we solve the order of questions being asked with multiple hosts is spin a gigantic, a huge, a spectacular wheel of grid destiny. And the winning name that comes up is who asked the question first. So I'm going to give that wheel a big old heave and spinning. And the first question comes from me. Okay, so uh, back in 2015, when we talked to you, or I guess it would be late 2014, when we actually interviewed you, um, there is one thing that I definitely remember you talking about, and that is tacos. And we talked about <laughs> Taco Bell versus Taco Trucks. And my question, but, uh, go ahead. That's one hell of a memory. I, <laughs> you clear, clear, clearly tacos has a soft spot. It does. It has a soft spot for me. So I don't know if you remember that or if tacos still has a place in your heart, Scott. So let's start there. Does tacos still have a place in your heart? I would say not as much, but I've moved on to oh. uh, burritos. So, I so we're, still the, we're still in the Mexican milieu a little bit oh, yeah. there, but okay. <laughs> of course. I did grow up most of my formative okay. years in Dallas, so Tex-Mex, near and dear. 
but yeah, that's one of our go-to uh, foods to order was burritos and tacos from either Playa Betty, Tacombe. All right, so burrito. my question then will be, describe for us your most perfect. Everyone should have it. Last meal of my life burrito. <laughs> Everything about it that you can think to describe. Right. Ingredients, texture. You tell us. Make us want it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's pretty pretty basic. I, you know, again, growing up in Dallas, living in Seattle, fish-based burritos are the best. And it's got to have enough hot sauce. <clears throat> I do like my food. Extremely spicy. Uh, so I like the, the lightly... Uh, battered variety, mahi, any variety mm. there, black beans, rice, no okay. lettuce on the inside, enough cheese for the most part, mm. pico de gallo, and then hot, spicy oh. sauce. Uh, you like it a little squishy, a little overdone, a little crispy? <laughs> what, I want the whole deal here. Oh, a little, little okay. overdone, not squishy, and, and, not soggy. And what are you drinking with it? Well, these days, because as I mentioned, uh, picked up running probably since we last talked. Uh, wasn't a runner back then, uh, so now my go-to is just uh, plain old green tea. Okay, fair enough. Mark, Mark just uh, added all this to his seamless order. Is <laughs> twenty minutes it says. No. Uh, I know what I'm having for dinner. You, you gotta make. You gotta have the side of uh, guac. Perfect. So that that really guacamole dictates where I yeah. order from. Um, great burrito on the Upper West Side has probably the, the best made to order. By the way, if you ever make your own guac, obviously it's fairly easy to make. Um, I, if you've never done it, try adding pineapple to it. It's really interesting uh, aspect to it, especially if uh, uh, yeah. So a little pineapple adds a, a neat citrus to it. I, I think what, what this is getting to is that I really miss the feed the animals segment. In oh, the show. feed the I can we did used to uh, call it that, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, oh, of course. I mean, all this time on digital, we forgot the uh, fabric of this show is uh, is our guest get to feed us. So next time, Scott, that you're on the show, uh, hopefully we're in studio again at Mouth Media, and um, and you could bring burritos. Absolutely. From Tacombe. All right. There is one blocks from our, <laughs> I know. From our studio. I know, right, exactly. Uh, spin of the wheel, why not? And uh, surprise. Surprise, it's Puffin. <laughs> um, Scott, are you a music guy? Are you listen to a lot of music when you run? I don't, but I am a music guy. I, but not when I, I run. I guess, uh, you know, yeah, let, let, so I'll, I'll still take it to, to, to music, though. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think one of the biggest kind of voids in my, in my life right now is just listening to live music, and it doesn't have to be in a concert necessarily venue, but I'm wondering like how music has kind of played a role in the live arenas generally and, uh, and where you see it kind of like uh, kind of what your experience has been um, as a kid and then uh, what you look forward to kind of like how, how it'll pivot going forward. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. As a kid, I mean, it's funny. One of the best opportunities about being home during all this is I reacquainted. So KEXP uh, 90.3 out of Seattle is by far the best radio station out there. And they live stream. You can get all their shows. Check it out because they have a ton of variety. Uh, but it allowed me to, re to reconnect. And so I grew up in the 80s, and it just so happens today 
all the DJs were doing uh, 80s inspired yeah. music. So whether that was birth of hip hop, whether it was electronic yeah. and dance. Um, so it's always had a critical part. I remember first concerts in Dallas, you know, going to the first Lala Blues mm. in New Orleans. Uh, but live music, um, the last show I saw before COVID, probably where if I had it, I picked it up there, was uh, I went to a concert over at Beacon Theater uh, so for a band called Widespread Panic. And, you know, I do think that is something that, that I hope we get back to, but I, I think that's probably going to be a good year yeah. year out to where we can enjoy it again. But a lot of, um, you know, back to KEXB, they were doing these lawn sessions in Seattle where they would have musicians yeah. come play outside on a lawn. Oh, that's cool. Maybe, yeah. maybe they need I, to follow the drive-in the, the drive-in movie theater model. You know, you just pull up in your car to a live live uh, concert. Yeah. I saw happening, yeah. Is that, yeah. So that, is that, I, I actually saw one that was uh, in a lake where a bunch of boats also in the I stage was, uh, you know, alongside the grass. So... Yeah. Pull up your rowboat. <laughs> That's great. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, look. I, th I think it's going to get very, very interesting. I mean, it has to. It has to evolve. Um, I don't think we're going to get back to like super large gatherings like that for some yeah. time, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, Scott. Uh, on that note, how in the world can people connect with you and the things that you're doing, other than obviously follow Theory and and Helmelang? Yeah, definitely connect through uh, mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Uh, happy to, to connect people that are listening to any of my network. Uh, feel free to connect with me, reach out. Um, and you can also reach out to me directly at Scott Lux, S-C-O-T-T-L-U-X at Mac.com. And always happy to chat about digital retail. So hit me up at either of those locations. You are the single one human that I know that uses Mac.com, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate you. I do appreciate it, though. It's, uh, it's weird. I actually know more people that use, like, Yahoo than Mac.com. Mac. Mac.com. So good. Exactly. So classic. It's, so, cla it's so good. I know. Uh, Scott Lux, uh, a gentleman and a scholar, literally, and also president of e-commerce and digital theory in Helmut Lang. Thank you so much for joining us again and being so patient as to wait more than 300 episodes to come back. Uh, it was worth it. Thank you. And continued good luck. Uh, I know the challenge is big where you are. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. That is it for this uh, really cool episode of Fashion is Your Business. Really appreciate you listening, everybody. It means a lot to us. Please stay safe and well. Uh, that is so important. Until next time, for Mr. Pubbinball, I am Mark Waco. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.